Charles Spurgeon, who himself was one of the most articulate communicators of God's Word in the history of the world, he was nonetheless absolutely in awe of the words that came from John Bunyan. Spurgeon once said of Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, Read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read the Bible till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. Prick him anywhere, his blood is biblene. That is, the very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. Spurgeon said that Bunyan's soul was full of the Word of God, and yet in his autobiography, Bunyan recounts that one day before he was converted, he was sitting on a bench outside the window of a woman in the community who had a terrible reputation. He said he was cursing and swearing and carrying on until this unseemly woman stuck her head out the window and rebuked him, telling Bunyan that his words made her tremble. Bunyan said he was so troubled by her admonishing him that he gave up swearing on the spot and said that it was one of the things God used to bring him to faith in Christ. In light of the spectacular truths, brothers and sisters, that Paul describes in the, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is calling us in chapter 4 to radical spiritual transformation in very practical ways. Today, our words take center stage. May God transform us on the inside as radically as he transformed John Bunyan so that we would use our words to give grace to others. Our passage is Ephesians 4.29. Hear the word of God. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Lord, help us. Help us this morning. We are dependent upon Your Spirit to lead us. And so we ask, that you would bless us with his presence now. In the name of Jesus, your beloved son. Amen. So let's get our our main idea in front of us this morning. I, I phrased it as an exhortation, because that's precisely what it is. 
because the goal of our speech is to give grace, we should only speak relevant words that refresh others, not harmful words that might ruin them. So kids, if you look closely at Ephesians 4.29, because we're just covering one verse this morning, you'll be able to figure out exactly where this main idea comes from. Because each, each phrase in our main idea is taken directly from a phrase in today's passage. So, if it's not clear to you yet, maybe you can talk to your parents a little bit, or hopefully by the end of our time, it will be very clear to you. But let's, let's take our concepts as they appear in our passage. The very first thing to realize about our speech, or our talk as the ESV puts it, is that words are very important to God because they are so powerful. James tells us that a whole forest can be set ablaze by one tiny spark. That is one small word that comes out of our mouths. That is powerful. It's subtle, but the focus of our passage is really on the way our speech impacts others. Remember that the overarching context is describing how Jews and Gentiles should interact with one another now that they have become one in Christ as they learn to walk with one another through the Christian life. So let's look at the first phrase, the first exhortation this morning. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The word corrupting here means unwholesome, or more literally, it means putrid, or ruinous, or contaminating, or decaying. It's not a pretty image. When our family lets our dogs out in the morning, they love to run into the woods, which is great. But one of our dogs in particular loves to bring things back from the woods. The problem is that the things he brings back are no longer alive. He is famous or infamous for walking up with, with unidentifiable corpses of animals at varying stages of decomposition in his mouth. Yesterday, the back half of a rabbit was the morning surprise. I mean, for us, it's stomach churning to think of having one of these decaying, rotting, whatever they are, in our mouths. But here, in Ephesians 4.29, Paul is rather graphically saying that when we speak words that, that tear down rather than build up, or when we speak words that pervert another's thinking, or when we gossip, or when we make crude jokes, or when we lie by flattering, 
or when we use any speech that is not pleasing to God, it contaminates the other person by by taking the the rotting words sitting in our mouths and and stuffing their, their putrid and decaying parts into the ears and even down into the hearts of our wives, our husbands, our children, our co-workers, our friends, our neighbors we are trying to reach, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is saying that unwholesome talk is corrupting to others. It deteriorates or even rots their souls. And one of the reasons that the story about John Bunyan resonates with me so deeply is because I can see my story in his If anything I have ever said has encouraged you or built you up personally, or if any words from my mouth have have had the ring of of biblical truth to them and therefore they benefited your soul, then praise God because that is a clear indication of the transforming power of the gospel in my own life. Prior to my conversion, similar to Bunyan, my speech was filled with with putrefying, soul-contaminating garbage. I remember once I was at a baseball game and I was mercilessly ridiculing a kid, so much so that a woman sitting next to me turned to me and, and mouthed the words, You are a jerk. And you could tell how painful it was for her to even say that. And yet, she could have said worse because it was 100% true. The realization that there were people walking around in the world whom I had hurt with my words or corrupted with my speech is one of the realities that drove me to the gospel. But praise the Lord who is, who is rich in mercy. Praise the Lord for the good news of the gospel. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, while we were yet dead in our trespasses and our sins, he made us alive together with Christ, including me. Now the biggest, the biggest challenge to this opening phrase in Ephesians 4.29 is, is found in its smallest word. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Do you see it there? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Notice that no matter how many times you read it, Paul makes no exceptions. No qualifying comments emerge for 
when things are hard. Paul makes no exceptions for for venting. Paul makes no exceptions for social media posts. There are no exceptions for, for when you're hanging out with the guys. No exceptions for when we are tired or disappointed or even exasperated with our kids. No exceptions for conversations with crude neighbors or difficult co-workers. And kids, there are no exceptions for you either just because you are young. There are no exceptions for when your parents correct you or rightly challenge you and you just don't like what they're telling you. There are no exceptions just because one of your siblings said something to you first. There are no exceptions when gaming online. There are no exceptions for college parties, no exceptions for when you receive bad news or when you stub your toe or smash your finger or hit your head or while you're watching sports or even if you find yourself behind completely incompetent drivers in the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts or driving down Sevierville Road on a Sunday morning as you're driving to the church to preach a message on Ephesians 4.29. Hypothetically, of course. There are no exceptions when someone else uses corrupting talk in your presence. Men, there are no exceptions made for when your wife rightly points out your sin. Wives, there are no exceptions for when your husband does something for the umpteenth time or fails to do something for the umpteenth time. Brothers and sisters, there are no exceptions made for corrupting talk even when our anger is justified for whatever the reason. And quite personally, I've had to ask for forgiveness from the elders on this very point because of times that I've been angry with things that people were doing to our church. We are never allowed to let corrupting talk come out of our mouths because it will contaminate the person who hears us and our words might ruin that person. Jesus reminded us how important words are when he said that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, even when we are tempted by the devil to make exceptions. Matthew 4.4. Perhaps the most terrifying warning Jesus ever uttered, that Jesus ever uttered, was in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, when he said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
He said this because out, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But brothers and sisters, praise God that we have been decontaminated from the inside out by Christ Jesus. Jesus can demand our obedience because he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus can demand our obedience because when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Jesus can demand our obedience because when he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And Jesus can demand our obedience because he himself bore our sins, including our corrupting words, in his body on the tree. And we can obey because he went to the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And we can obey because by his stripes we have been healed. And we can obey because the Holy Spirit now lives, now lives within us. The fact that Jesus remains faithful, even when we are faithless, frees us to fight hard, to speak with words that will honor the one who himself is the very word of God in human flesh. Now, notice that amazingly, the second phrase, which states the way we should use our words, is actually just as restrictive as the first phrase. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now that's a high standard. In fact, I want to challenge you today. As soon as church is over this morning, see if you can only Ephesians 4.29 each other for just 15 minutes. In other words, if you're watching this with someone else, see if you can hold each other to this standard for just a few minutes after church is over. Only speak words that fit the occasion. Only speak words that are encouraging. Only speak words with the intention of giving grace to one another. And if it feels strange to you, consider what that might tell you about the regular content of your speech. Much like John Bunyan, the more saturated our thoughts and words are with the Bible, the better off we will be and the more powerfully our words will impact others for their good. Consider for a moment how much the culture influences the words you say compared to how much God's Word directly influences the words you say. Now, I'm not talking about being awkward for the sake of being awkward. But I am asking you to consider the common phrases that you use regularly 
and ask yourself whether or not your regular words are consistent with God's Word. Think about whether or not your words are describing an idea or a way of speaking that reflects God's Word. It's one of the things that I respect so much about David Yance, who is one of our new elders. He so often speaks directly from God's Word, and which is also incredibly true of Mitchell and the way that he prays and the way that he counsels. Think about your words. Again, we're, we're thinking about the idea of how much does the culture impact the way I talk and how much does God's Word impact the way that I talk. The case that I'm beginning to make is that it's far better for us to speak words that are very consistent and influenced by God's Word itself. So instead of just saying something like, hey, what you did was pretty cool. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. If something does something, somebody does something kind to you, but think about it more specifically. And I would say even think about it more biblically. Maybe you could say something like, you know what you did? You really considered my interests above your own. That was very humble and very mature. Thank you so much. Brian Chappell says that using pure speech that reflects the Bible is one of the most countercultural things we can do. So don't just tell your wife that the two of you make a good team, even if that's true. Tell her that you absolutely love reflecting the love that Christ has for his church to her. And you want to lay down your life for her in as many practical ways as possible today, just like Jesus did for the church. Let me make a quick note to remind myself to say that to you, my love, when I get home later. Instead of just asking, hey, can I help you? Which is, of course, fine and good. So many people would say, I'll take that. If my spouse says that, I'll take it. Ask, are there any ways that I can serve you in a loving way? I'm not trying to be ridiculous. My point is to challenge us to think with intentionality about our speech, which I think is the overarching point of Ephesians 4.29, to recognize where our speech patterns may conform more to the world and just the way that everybody else talks than to God's Word itself. And then let's seek to speak in ways that most benefit others and most clearly and distinctively glorify our great God. Now, this standard or this way of thinking, this way of talking, is the antidote, by the way, to careless words and contaminating talk. God desires that our speech would be filled with relevant words that refresh or reinvigorate others. Mother Teresa said it succinctly, words that do not give the light of Christ increase the darkness. Now, sometimes when our kids were younger, we had to get very black and white about this, and maybe you have also. If they were using unkind speech with one another, we would sometimes say to them, do you realize that you only have two choices with your words? 
you're not just teasing one another. You're not just giving one another a hard time. Think about it biblically. You are either being used by God to build others up or you are being used by Satan to tear others down. Those are your options biblically. But do you see the contrast that Ephesians 4.29 offers us? Instead of words that corrupt or decay or steal life from others, we are to speak words that breathe life into others. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 10, 11. Rather than speak words that further divide and destroy, God commands His people to speak words that unify and rebuild the broken. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12.19 Whereas careless and Corrupting words cause the soul to to shrivel up and to deteriorate. Words that edify. Encouragements that are on point. They revitalize and sometimes they even revive others who are struggling. Sometimes the timing of our words is everything. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Proverbs 25.11 The more relevant our encouragements are, the more refreshing and life-giving our words will be to others. Now, because the goal of our speech is to give grace or to reflect God's grace to others, it is worth considering what our words really are giving to others. Words are kind of like nuclear reactors. They can provide tremendous energy and help sustain life. But if they are not controlled very carefully, they can either explode and destroy people instantly or they can melt down and contaminate everything around them and kill them much more slowly. Consider the power of your words and what your words are really giving to others. Are your words giving someone a reason to thank you or to curse you? The goal is that our words would give grace. So are are our words, are your words, giving someone a reason to praise God or giving someone a reason to doubt God's presence in your life or possibly even in theirs? Are your words giving someone the life, the life, the life that they need to make it through one more day? Or are your words stealing life from them? One careless or harmful comment 
at a time? Are your words giving, giving wisdom and clarity to a situation? Or are your words giving confusion and strife to others? Are your words giving a chance for healing? Or are your words just giving another reason to be discouraged? Are your words giving direction that points others to the Lord or, or towards temptation that leads them away from Him? Dads, in particular, I want you to think carefully about this question. Are your words giving affirmation? Or are your words of encouragement absent and therefore giving absolutely Nothing. Are your words, are your words giving God a reason to rejoice over you with singing? Or a reason to humble you as He disciplines you? I would encourage you to ask those around you, what are my words giving to you? And may God's Word inform the words of your response. Brothers and sisters, to give grace to give grace to others means that our words should bless them. And so we turn back to the opening words of Ephesians for our ultimate motivation to bless others with the words that we speak. In Ephesians 1.3, right out of the gate, Paul, Paul bursts forth with praise saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now when we broke down this verse several months ago, I explained that what it really means in its essence is that we speak words of praise publicly to the Father because the Father has first declared or publicly spoken His approval of us in every way possible in Christ, in the spiritual realm. To the powers of darkness, God says, get your hands off my kid. God has declared us His own by adopting us into His beloved family. He has publicly declared our sins forgiven when He publicly triumphed over Satan on the cross. So my encouragement to you, especially if you have only ever heard condemnation from your earthly father, you will never amount to anything. 
let those words be replaced with the voice of your heavenly Father. Because God is our banner, and the word that he flies over us is not only forgiven, but the word that he flies over us is righteous, holy, unstained, innocent, pure, blessed, and beloved. Brothers and sisters, because because God has spoken well of us, may it be our joy. May it be our joy to speak well of Him and to speak words of life to others in His glorious name. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And Father, because because out of the heart, out of the heart the mouth speaks, we, we, we desperately need You to help us. So would you, would you have your word, would you have your spirit penetrate us at the, at the deepest level so that we might be radically transformed from something as practical as the way that we speak? God, help us. Help us to not do further damage to broken people, but help us to build others up so that they might receive grace as directly from you through our words. And so, Lord, lead us from the heart now to worship, to speak praises to you. And I pray that the outflow of that ultimately would be that we would speak encouragement to others in your blessed name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.